Lately, I catch myself looking skyward more often than normal. If you watch the news in February, it seemed like every few days the military was shooting something out of the sky. Over a three-day span, fighter jets shot down something over Alaska, northwestern Canada, and Lake Huron. The week before that, the U.S. military shot down a Chinese spy balloon off the Carolina coast. They apparently monitored the object as it traveled across the continent. Once it had flown over enough sensitive military sites and they knew for sure what it was, they took it out. China insisted the flyover was an accident and threatened repercussions. President Biden issued the order, but had wanted the balloon downed even earlier in the week. He was told that it would be better to wait until the object was over water. Apparently, something falling from 60,000 feet could present a threat to any civilians below. Mysterious objects in the sky have been recorded as far back as 240 BC, when Chinese astronomers first witnessed Halley's Comet. At the time, no one knew what it was, and certainly didn't realize that it was a repeating phenomenon that flew by Earth every 76 years. In the 4th century, Romans wrote of mysterious objects moving through the sky. A news article from April 1561 told the story of a mass sighting of celestial phenomena. The article came along with a woodcut engraving that depicted the scene over Nuremberg. Apparently, around dawn on April 14, 1561, numerous men and women witnessed some form of an aerial battle out of the sun. Objects included a large black triangular vessel and numerous sphere shapes that were destroyed and fell to earth in a cloud of smoke. The witnesses claimed to have seen hundreds of spheres, cylinders, and other odd-shaped objects that zigzagged throughout the sky, some emerging from larger shapes before taking off on their own. In 1878, a Texas newspaper article ran featuring an interview with a farmer who had reportedly seen a large, dark, circular object soar through the sky. The man, John Martin, compared the shape of the thing to a saucer. It was one of the first uses of the word saucer in association with UFOs. Reports surfaced for the next 20 years, causing frequent cases of mass panic. It was believed, for a short time, that Thomas Edison had created an artificial star that could fly around the country. Orson Welles sent the nation into a frenzy, with people looking towards the stars in 1938 with his all-too-real-sounding radio drama, The War of the Worlds. Shortly after that, World War II began, and the threat from above was given a face, the Japanese Empire. As much as I'd love to discuss UFO settings, and we will someday, this episode is not about little green men. It's about the growing concern that came from the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor and the need to keep one eye on the sky. Episode 55, The Battle of Los Angeles. President Franklin D. Roosevelt declared December 7, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. In what would eventually become a war crime, the Japanese, without declaring war, carried out a surprise attack on the U.S. naval base at Pearl Harbor in Honolulu. The attack would cause the United States, who were neutral at the time, to enter into World War II the following day. 
Once Japan declared war on the U.S. and British Empire, Italy and Germany joined in. So the U.S. and Britain returned the favor, and the rest, as they say, is history. In the months that followed, Americans were understandably upset and also quite paranoid, especially on the West Coast. If the Japanese could destroy a naval base in Hawaii, then they could certainly attack any city of their choosing along the coast. In Juneau, Alaska and Seattle, Washington, residents were told to cover their windows for a mandatory nightly blackout. Rumors of Japanese submarines and aircraft carriers off the coast of San Francisco led to cities closing schools for a period of time. Civil defense sirens were mounted on police cars. Walt Disney Studios in Burbank even saw 500 United States Army troops move in. As the war overseas ramped up, the United States made preparations here at home. All along the West Coast, anti-aircraft guns were installed, bunkers were built, and air raid drills were taught. While the war wasn't being fought on our soil, there were dozens of American merchant ships attacked. On February 23, 1942, a Japanese submarine surfaced just north of Santa Barbara, California. The Japanese were looking to steal the headlines from Roosevelt, who was delivering one of his famous fireside addresses to the nation that evening. The submarine fired shells towards the pier in hopes of hitting the gasoline plant. While it did some minor damage to nearby piers and oil wells, they missed their intended mark. The United States dispatched search planes and bombers in an attempt to destroy the submarine, but were unsuccessful. The headline in the Los Angeles Times the next day read, Submarine Shells Southland Oil Field. The Japanese may have missed their target the evening before, but they'd succeeded in reducing reports of Roosevelt's speech to a smaller font size. The article went on to say, No lives lost and little damage inflicted by the first enemy assault on United States soil since the war started in December. Witnesses declared submersible fired 16 shots from a mile offshore. Throughout the day on the 24th, Californians demanded that Japanese residents be removed from their homes and sent somewhere else, further inland. In Washington, on the floor of the House of Representatives, the urgency for action was echoed. The Democratic representative from California, A.J. Elliott, had strong feelings on the subject. We must move the Japanese in this country into a concentration camp somewhere, someplace, and do it damn quickly. Don't kid yourselves, and don't let someone tell you there are good Japs. Perhaps one out of a thousand. The district attorney of Santa Barbara, Percy Heckendorf, called for immediate action as well. He requested a meeting with Lieutenant General John DeWitt, the man in charge of the Western Defense Command. Heckendorf, like Elliott, believed that Japanese Americans had worked in coordination with the submarine and marked locations for the sub's gunfire. He felt that absolute control of aliens and American-born Japanese was necessary for the time being. Representative A.J. Elliott was later quoted as saying, The only good Jap is a dead Jap. When the war is over, as far as I'm concerned, we should ship every Jap in the United States back to Japan. Later in the day on the 24th, the Office of Naval Intelligence sent out a warning that an attack on mainland California could be expected within the next 10 hours. Nervous residents peered through their curtains, watching the nighttime skies. Every blinking light and every flare sent up caused people to hold their breath. At 7.18 p.m. that evening, the sirens rang out, and an alert was called. Fortunately, nothing happened, and it was lifted at 10.23 p.m. 
Just after 2 a.m. on what was now the 25th of February, radars picked up an unidentified target 120 miles west of Los Angeles. Fifteen minutes later, anti-aircraft batteries were put on green alert. At 2.25 a.m., the air raid sirens sounded again, echoing throughout Los Angeles County. A total blackout was ordered. The Air Force held off on sending any of their planes up due to their limited resources, but kept them at the ready. Numerous calls came into the information center with residents reportedly spotting enemy planes. As radar systems continued to track the unidentified object, which was just a few miles off of the coast now, it suddenly disappeared. By 2.43 a.m., enemy planes were reported near Long Beach. A few minutes later, a Coast Artillery Station colonel spotted what appeared to be a squadron of 25 planes flying at 12,000 feet. Tensions were high, and Los Angeles was bracing itself for an attack. Just after 3 a.m., a balloon of some sort carrying a red flare was seen over Santa Monica. Four different batteries of anti-aircraft artillery opened fire, and the skies over Los Angeles lit up like a 4th of July celebration. Residents and members of the military watched as massive, powerful searchlights moved through the sky, highlighting the gunfire and explosions and smoke. Some people swore they saw enemy planes. Others witnessed clusters of balloons. One witness reported seeing several hundred planes. Another just saw one. Some folks claimed that the objects were flying a few thousand feet overhead, others as high as 20,000 feet. Some of the objects witnessed were moving very slow, while others were said to have been traveling at over 200 miles per hour. Whatever was overhead didn't attack, never fired a shot, never dropped a bomb. When all was said and done, the 1,440 rounds of ammunition that the U.S. military sent up had all missed. Despite reports of four downed enemy planes, including one that crashed and burned up at a Hollywood intersection, nothing was ever found. At 7.21 a.m., as the sun came up, nearly five hours after the first shots were taken, the blackout was lifted. Daylight revealed the damage done to the city of Los Angeles, and unfortunately, it was all caused by the panic. Numerous buildings and vehicles were damaged by the shell fragments raining down from the sky. Luckily, no one was killed from the debris, but the deaths of five people were attributed to the event. Harry Klein and his wife Zula were driving along the streets of Arcadia with their headlights turned off. Seemingly out of nowhere, a milk truck appeared, also with its headlights off. 48-year-old Zula Klein died on impact. 55-year-old police sergeant Engelbert Larson was on his way into the Long Beach Police Department for emergency duty when he was killed in a similar head-on collision. 55-year-old Jesus Alvarez was walking along in the pitch black when he stepped into the path of a vehicle traveling with its headlights off. He died shortly after from his injuries. None of the drivers of the vehicles were blamed or held by police. A 60-year-old Hollywood man named Henry Ayers was found slumped over his steering wheel. He apparently had suffered a heart attack while nervously driving a station wagon full of ammunition meant for the California State Guard. 36-year-old George Well was on duty as an air raid warden when he suffered a heart attack. He died a short while later in his home. As news of the incident spread across the country, the Navy was quick to insist that there was no evidence of enemy aircraft. Back in Washington, Secretary of the Navy Frank Knox held a press conference. It was just a false alarm. There were no planes over Los Angeles last night, at least 
That's our understanding. None has been found, and a very wide reconnaissance has been carried out. Knox blamed jittery nerves on the increase of reports of enemy aircraft being spotted along the West Coast. He was also under the impression that any vital wartime industries in the area should perhaps be moved further inland. Both the Army and Navy performed their own investigations in the days that followed. After numerous witness examinations, some local commanders stated that it was possible that between one and five unidentified planes may have flown over Los Angeles in the early morning hours of the 25th. Secretary of State Henry Stimson announced his conclusion on behalf of the War Department. It was his belief that the aircraft were either enemy-operated commercial planes that took off from secret Japanese bases in California or Mexico, or possibly small planes that were launched from Japanese submarines. People, including the author of a February 26th editorial that ran in the LA Times, wanted answers. The Army, the Navy, and the War Department were all offering different theories and speculations, but had no real answers. Congress members demanded to know whether the raid was a practice raid, a politically motivated raid used to scare millions of people, or just an error, a case of nerves and mistaken identity. Another editorial that ran in the Washington Post on February 27th called for more answers, stating that the events in Los Angeles were a recipe for jitters. Why were military authorities remaining silent? Where did these commercial planes, if that was true, come from? Where were they going? Why weren't they pursued? Was it just a waste of ammunition? If there were real enemy planes above, is the military that inept at hitting a target? Meanwhile, in Tokyo, the Japanese were broadcasting messages celebrating the success of their submarine's bombardment of U.S. military establishments. Whether or not they had any involvement in the Battle of Los Angeles, it was viewed as a victory for the Japanese. After the war ended, Japanese officials stated that they never had any planes in that area. Seven years later, in 1949, the United States Coast Artillery Association reported that a meteorological balloon was found to have been released around 1 a.m. on the morning of the 25th. They concluded that it was this balloon that started all the shooting. Once the firing started, imagination created all kinds of targets in the sky, and everyone joined in. Forty years after the incident, in 1983, the U.S. Office of Air Force History blamed the event on heightened war nerves that were triggered by a stray weather balloon, and only enhanced by competing flares and shell bursts from the different batteries. On February 26, 1942, as part of a five-page collection of stories, editorials, and photos, the Los Angeles Times published one photo that quickly became a centerpiece in numerous UFO conspiracy theories. The photo, which I will post to Curator135.com, shows numerous spotlights, all focused on one thing. Conspiracy theorists will tell you that that one thing is clearly an alien spacecraft. The photo in question was heavily retouched prior to publication, which was commonly done back then to improve the contrast in black and white photos. Still, there are those that believe there had been some form of a cover-up, whether extraterrestrial or Japanese in nature. Perhaps the military didn't want to spook the public by admitting to a real invasion while possibly causing more damage by not giving any answers. Or maybe this is just another case of potential visitors from another planet hidden away by the government. Or maybe the simple answer is that it was a horrible time in history and people were scared and mistakes were made. The 2011 film Battle Los Angeles 
is loosely based on the events from that day in 1942. In the film, hostile alien spacecraft land in large coastal cities. Los Angeles is evacuated while Marines from Camp Pendleton arrive to defend their country. The film stars Aaron Eckhart, Michelle Rodriguez, and Michael Pena. While entertaining and a moneymaker, the film was generally panned. Roger Ebert called the movie noisy, violent, ugly, and stupid, and gave it a half star. The aforementioned photo, along with faked newspaper headlines, were featured in the trailers for the film. An interesting side note is that every February, the Fort MacArthur Museum, which is located at the entrance to Los Angeles Harbor, hosts an event called the Great L.A. Air Raid of 1942. There's dancing, era-themed attire, and the evening culminates with spotlights, air raid sirens, and a fireworks show. In researching how this year's party may have gone, I found this article on the museum's website. Air Raid Cancelled The Fort MacArthur Museum regrets to announce the 2023 Great Los Angeles Air Raid of 1942 is cancelled. This is beyond the control of the museum, museum association, staff, and volunteers who tried every possibility to bring you an air raid like no other in the past. During some pre-show cleanup of the property, a great horned owl's nest was discovered in one of the trees by the Forestry Division of the Department of Recreation and Parks. The Forestry Division was required to notify the city's environmentalist, who came out and identified the nest belonging to one of the great horned owls who live on the museum grounds. The museum was notified that a 300-foot area around the tree could not be used as part of the show because of the owl's nest. For those who may not know, great horned owls are protected in the state of California. Due to this restriction, most of the museum grounds could not be used like in years past, and there were also noise restrictions put in place that would highly impact the show. We are currently redirecting our efforts on a summer show featuring a 1945 end-of-the-war-themed dance. Please stay tuned for more information on that event. So next time you're stargazing or watching clouds move through, keep your eyes peeled for something out of the ordinary. You may want to take some time and figure out what it is before you freak everyone out, though. Our skies are getting awfully crowded with too many flights and wayward spy balloons. Before we wrap up, I'm excited to announce that the first single from my album Podcast Beats Volume 1 is available now on iTunes. One of my favorite parts of starting this podcast has been learning my way around GarageBand and creating music for each episode. I decided to take some of the newer music I'd made and put it on an album that is available to listen to on SoundCloud. I was just informed earlier this week that the single, They're Here, is available to purchase on iTunes. I also have a couple of videos that I made for different songs available on the Curator135 YouTube channel. Thank you to all the patrons who are supporting the show on Patreon. I couldn't do this without you guys. Thank you to Dave, David, Jim, Marie, Laura, Vicky, and Chris for being a part of the team. If you'd like to become a patron of this podcast, please visit patreon.com curator135. There are three tiers of support, or you can name your own donation. Please like, follow, and subscribe to Curator135 on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And don't forget about all the great merchandise available at the shop. I'll have some new designs coming soon. If you enjoyed this or any of my other podcast episodes, don't forget to leave a five-star review. As always, thank you for listening. And remember, be good to one another. 
and be creative. The world needs you. One, four, three.